0: Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a Revelation Project, and what gets revealed, gets healed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Revelation Project Podcast. Today, I'm with Dorothy Martin Neville, a PhD and an international speaker, author, consultant, and master coach. She's also a frequent radio podcast and television guest and is also past president of the National Speakers Association in Connecticut and the founder of four companies. As a psychotherapist, Dr. Dorothy was in practice for 25-plus years as a motivational speaker, and she brought a history of living in an orphanage, being adopted and raised in the housing projects of South Boston in an alcoholic home through her stories. She later became a Catholic nun, an international airline stewardess, and so much more showing that faith, humor, and passion make anything possible. Today, whether supporting individual clients in recognizing and living their purpose, or supporting CEOs in creating a culture of purpose within their organization, Dr. Dorothy brings firsthand knowledge of the challenges facing those who want to live and work in a culture that feeds rather than drains them. In that light, Dorothy has supported highly successful women from all levels of success, Park Ave, NYC, to a small town in Maine. Consequently, patterns and similarities in leadership are readily understood as she brings extensive wisdom, knowledge, and experience to the table, combining her recognition that mindset and communication skills are what sets us apart, with her ability to make the complicated simple. Dr. Dorothy is someone to learn from, whether as a speaker, trainer, coach, or consultant. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Dorothy Martin Neville. Hey, Dorothy. Hey there. How are you? I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm grateful to be able to hang out with you a little bit and have some fun because I I do know that you are also all about the levity and the laughter. Yes. I often say that we're screwed if we don't have that. Yeah. Without humor and faith, I don't know how
1: anybody gets through this journey. I really don't. I don't either. We need lots of faith and lots of humor.
0: You really do. You really do. And Dr. Dorothy and I were chatting right before we came on the call. And of course, having grown up in Boston, I was telling her that my dad also grew up right outside of Boston. And so we were saying things like, down Sella and bang a yui my dad's yeah (laughs) all the terms go pack the car monica moniker that's what he called me moniker it was everything had an r where it didn't belong you know no no (laughs) (laughs) she's like i disagree appropriately Yeah, yeah yeah But it is funny.
1: People want it, want us to say things that don't make any sense. You know, like park the car in Harvard Yard. Somehow they think that's really fun. But if they had any experience, they would know you can never park a car in Harvard Yard. There is not a place over there to park anything. So it's just a way to hear us. And I think we say our ahs appropriately. A car, C-A-R. So we say
0: C-A-R. There's yep. an R there. So, yeah. All right. I love it. I love it. What else? What else would they say? Okay, so the other thing he would say is blueberry, like blueberry pie. Yeah. Yeah. There's some interesting... Well, I understood completely. (laughs) You're like, yeah, that's how you say it. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I I miss it. It's just going to be great today to to hear about this. Well, and actually, that's where I would love to start. You and I did... I believe I've, saw, I've seen you speak a couple of times, and both, both times I was blown away. One, you were telling the story of your childhood, and then the other, of course, we were part of Terilyn Curry Avery's course on dismantling racism. She's an amazing woman, an she absolutely is. amazing. She's woman. guesting next week. Oh, good! You're going to have a good time with her. I She's know. She's a riot. Yeah, she is. She's the best. And I've learned so much from her. And so actually, I'd love to start. There's so much I want to ask you about today. And I know that we want to. I, I want to get into talking a little bit more about women's leadership. But I always love to ask the first question, which is, what does revelation mean to you? Revelation is, to me,
1: the willingness to see what is. Mm. So many of us don't want to deal in that world we want to live in our illusions so when we are willing to give up our illusions and see what is without our filters without our projections sometimes that's pretty frightening because we we're, we're left looking at what's reality versus what we want reality to look like and that can be very hard for some people yeah it's very freeing for others but it can be very difficult for some
0: because it means giving up illusion I would love to unpack that a little bit, because I think you know what illusion is when you're not in it anymore. Right. And it's in the realm of what I call sometimes like pretending not to know. Well, and I call that chosen ignorance. Yes. You
1: know, when we choose to be ignorant, we intentionally choose to be ignorant. Don't tell me I don't want to know, I don't want to see, I don't want to hear, don't don't let me know about this, I don't want to. I don't want to know it because if I know it, I will have to make changes in my life. So please don't tell me anything that would make me change how I'm doing my life. Even though I may not like my life, I know it. I'm, I'm in it. I'm comfortable with this more so. It's like the devil I know is better than the devil I don't. What if there's no devil out
0: there? What if you drop the illusions and you really got to be free and be you? It's true. And what you're kind of speaking to is the risk of transformation. Yes. Mm -hmm. The risk
1: of transformation, and to me, it's the risk of freedom. To me,
0: transformation is about freedom. Yeah, it sure is. It's this illusion that we live in where this, quote unquote, is life. Mm -hmm. You know, where this is the illusion of this is just the way it is. There's a cynicism. About a limited belief system. Immediately, this is
1: the way it is. Mm-hmm. No, this is the way it is because this is what we chose to create. What if we created something dramatically different? Yes. We've heard in the past few days, so many people say, if only there was something we could do to prevent 18 year olds running around with AK 15s. If only there was something we could do, as if, excuse me? Mm hmm who told you? And why do you need to believe there's nothing we can do? Yeah, we could change that like this. Do we want to change it is the question. To But this I'm powerless, gives me permission to stay stuck. I'm powerless. And there's nothing really, it gives you permission not to invest, not to grow, not to change, and to play victim. That's an option. Victim is always a mindset. And we can change that.
0: We sure can. And I know that your passion is working with women in this way, not only in the realm of transformation, but specifically women who are in transition. Right. That seems to be, it's almost like the transition I always see as kind of the catalyst, like the disruptor to the illusion. It is. And um, I'm actually, what, what
1: timing of this, I'm starting a program on June 12, June eighteenth. It's going to be for 12 women solely, and it's for women in transition. It's a year-long program mm-hmm. of group work, one-on-one work, and some in-person. It starts with the one day together and ends with the one day together. And it's mostly on Zoom. And it's for women in transition. And it is a powerful intensive program because they'll have one-on-ones with me and they'll be doing working with groups. And you know how, when we come together as women, we can support, we can create a community that supports massive growth. And I'm doing that simply because of this and supporting women in transition. One of my amazing women who was the executive director of my companies when I lived overseas, you know, for a long period of time, um, recently went through a divorce and is having a very difficult time. She was married 24 years, and, and she has little ones, you know, preschooler and, and an elementary schooler, and is having a difficult time. And how does she stay who she is, a 50-year-old woman, while also being a mother, while also being a newly divorced woman after 24 years? of uh, How do you do this alone? All right? But also, how do I do a career? How do I do parenting? How do I, how do I, how do I... And we can go into discouragement, we can go into overwhelm, we can go into confusion, we can go into illusions of powerlessness. How do you do transition? And the fact is, and so she called and said, could you do something because working with you has always transformed my life? Sure, I will do this. Because in working with with women, and because men and women do respond differently to life stimuli. You know, I work with men as well as women, but they respond differently, so the programs are different. But when you work with women, what happens in in transition is, with all of us, when you're transitioning, the past doesn't fit anymore. So you're not in the past. You may want to be holding the past and grieving the past, but it doesn't exist for you. Whether that's a divorce, whether it's a job loss, whether it's you've moved to another state or another city, you're no longer a part of that past, but you're also not a part of the future yet. So you're in this free fall place that gives you absolute permission and absolute freedom to define what do I want the rest of my life to look like? Who do I want to be as I begin the rest of my life? And that makes the transitionary period a conscious decision of transformation, which is a dramatically different experience. Than making transition a terrifying, overwhelming, groundless place of survival. So that transitionary period for me is where all of the attachments, all of the energetic cords, all of the attachments to the past are either cut or changed. And you're the one who defines what that looks like going forward. So to me, transition is a period of absolute freedom for transformation. With no expectations on you unless you put them there. I love that. Others can try to dump it on you, but you don't have to take a single one of their expectations for where you're going in your life. It's absolutely your choice.
0: Yes, it absolutely is. And through that lens, disruption is such an ally. Absolutely an ally. Because some of those
1: transitions we enter, we choose. Some of them we don't choose willingly, if you will. I mean, what a transition I was divorced after 15 years, when a kindergarten and a fourth grader. It wasn't my vision. my vision was lifetime marriage, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't say, "Gee, I think I, a divorce sounds like a good idea." you know, but we can reach a place where we know the only healthy thing for everybody involved is to separate. And so it's chosen, but it was not necessarily wanted. But chosen. And what ends up happening is you can spend your entire life, and I've seen some women sadly do this enraged or feeling victimized by a former partner. Mm -hmm. I've seen women stay in regret and fear and, and terror of being alone for their entire lives. And I've also seen women go through that for about 48 hours and then ought to sort of say, okay. I've got to go forward. What do I do? And reach out because we can try to do this alone. But as you know, the illusion of self-sufficiency is an illusion. Independence is what we're all called to. Self-sufficiency is an illusion. Mm -hmm. So when we choose to reach out and be supported going through that, we have somebody help us, not
0: carry us, but help us stand up and begin to claim. I love this. Two things. One is, on your Facebook page was a meme that said, healing also means taking an honest look at the role you play in your own suffering. Absolutely. Oh, thank you for picking that up. Absolutely. And I also picked this up because it it just kind of made me laugh, which is on your page, there was a testimonial that said, You held my heart while kicking my ass. (laughs) That I do. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? Like that is the kind of coach that I need, right? It's like that coach that will hold my heart and kick my ass. Yes. (laughs) And sometimes we really need that because we, we can't see our own bullshit sometimes truly, that's what it is. That is exactly what
1: it is. In those two things, it's amazing. Those are the two quotes you pulled. But my people that I work with, if I choose to work with you, it's always because it's I can love you unconditionally. Mm-hmm. I can just be there with you and you're capable of receiving that love so that we can support the transformational process. Yes. You know, yes. I'm not going to come in and force you to do something. And those clients who are waiting for their coach to force them to do something, to force them to, I'm not there to do that. Mm-mm. If you want it and you're in resistance, I have no problem with that, but you want it is what I'm hearing. I will help you come along. And that other, which is why, you know, you're never judged for a single second. You are absolutely accepted for where you are and who you are. Mm -hmm. And that's the safety of holding your heart. All right. But then kicking your little ass is really about our suffering that nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Oh, get over your damn self. Mm -hmm. All right. Get over your damn self. Nobody knows in one sense. Yes, nobody knows the troubles you've seen, but sweetie, everybody has had them. That's right. Everybody's had them. They've experienced them their own way. And when I say that, we need to look at the ownership of of perpetuating our own pain, perpetuating our own story. You know, you can spend the next 86 years complaining about the fact that your mother never bought you that birthday present. Mm -hmm. All right. And feeling the rejection and the abandonment of that. And that gives you permission to be a victim. That's right. Right right? That's right. Why you can say, my mom wasn't perfect. And she may not have been what the world would consider a good mom at all. Or she may have been a great mom who was human. You know, I don't know which it's irrelevant. But the fact is, you didn't get that present. But here you are today, honey, you lived with mommy for 17, 18 years, you're now 43. Guess what? You lived away from mommy longer than you lived with her.
0: Mm -hmm. So if
1: you're still in that pain, Let's look at why you're holding on to it.
0: Right, because there's
1: a payoff. There's a payoff always. Your parents told you not to eat before dinner. How many of us have had appetizers? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Your parents told you not to talk to strangers. Most of us in business talk to strangers every single day. Mm -hmm. So why is it that we threw out some of the messages they gave us? Yeah. And we kept others. We kept the others because it supports an identity we want to hold on to. Yes. Truly, that's it. And that's the perpetuating our suffering. Why are you doing that? Mm -hmm. Why are you continuously being not smart enough, not powerful enough, not good enough, not whatever? All right. Or I was fired from a job, means I can never hold a position. Really? Or could that have been the wrong position for you or the wrong company? the right position, but the wrong company. Let's look at that. Let's assess it so that you can learn from it, always learn from it. And now how can we help you go forward with a better suited company or a better position? Yeah. Or you can stay and hold on to that for the rest of your life. It's a choice.
0: I often look at this lately in the realm of storytelling because mm-hmm. it's kind of like the unconscious story we've been living in. And it's like disrupting that story, and understanding our power to create a new story, and live a new story. And of course, I think stories can be incredibly powerful. And, <laughs> and, and, we, cho- and we choose these stories. And so it, it, it can become a really interesting conversation. I want to go back to something you said, which is that men and women respond differently to stimulus. Right. And I wanted to get curious about that because I agree. And I'm wondering, without assuming, though, like what, how do you see that play out? If there's a hundred different examples, which one do I pick? All right.
1: Something happens. We come home. The front door has been broken in. All right. My first thought is to go into fear, and then we go into worry about what's happened. Then we go into grief. We go into all of these emotional places. Your male partner is going to say, crap. First, they want to check, make sure nobody's still in there. Then they will go into anger, if not rage. Then they will take action and make things happen. And if you follow them in, the tendency, now these are generalizations, Okay. Make sure remember that. Then you will follow him in, and then it starts looking at what was taken. Then there's the grieving. Then there's the fear. Then there's the organization, the placement, and we're looking at all kinds of other things. And they're into what am I? What am I going to do? What am I going to make? What do I? What do I? You know, it's very different. Not that they don't have an emotional response, Mm -hmm. but they react differently, Mm -hmm. and Once the shock has settled in for each of you, and everybody's okay, thank God, then it's, okay, what do we do next? Right. What do we do next? And women, in my experience, will tend to go one way and men will go to another. They're always looking, again, at the pragmatic steps that we take. She's looking at the much bigger picture of how we're going to handle this. And neither one is right or wrong. They're just different. Yes. Or somebody tells you there's a new job. There's a new job availability. You want to check to make sure that you have 120% of the qualifications needed. He wants to make sure he has 60% of the qualifications needed, figuring out he is going to learn on the job the rest of what he needs to know. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to apply for a job that looks terrific. Most women won't until they have developed all the necessary skills that that job asks for. Mm -hmm. When the fact is, I don't care what the job is. You don't know everything. Even if it's a new DJ job and you've been DJing for 20 years at the station, you're going into a new station. You may have some of the pragmatics down, but how are you going to do it in that station? What's the dynamics of that station? What's the procedures or protocols of that station?
0: You don't know, and you're not going to know until you get the job. And Dr. Dorothy, do you think that that is nature or nurture? I think that it's a lot of
1: the issue with that is a lot of nurture. I think there's a piece of that that's nature, but I think the vast majority of those hesitancies Mm -hmm. is nurture. Okay. Yeah. Uh, And how we
0: are developed, how we're taught to see ourselves, but also how we're taught to be seen. Part of the illusion that, you know, I often kind of talk about with women is disrupting this illusion of unworthiness. right? And so I want to, I feel like there's a lot here that I want to kind of dive into. But first, I want my listeners to hear a little bit more about your background and how you grew up. Oh, good. Oh, goodness. yeah, that's
1: <laughs> certainly if you want to go there, I'm willing to go there. That's, I just love all other.
0: Well, I love going there because to me, that story is so powerful. And how you be in the world now is you walk your talk, and I do that. Yes. Nobody can say that you haven't experienced your share of. Trauma. Right. And I think trauma for women is a huge part of what keeps us kind of stuck in this trance of unworthiness. I would say our attachment to the trauma. Yes. Okay, good. And
1: our our attachment to the trauma keeps us there. And our belief that the trauma has made us, it's not even um, unqualified, it's unworthy. Okay, so there's two pieces that go into that. And I would say to you that for my childhood, I I was raised in an orphanage initially, I was the product of an affair. So I was raised in an orphanage from the moment of birth, and then later adopted by my birth mother and um, her third, the third man in her life, and the, the second marriage for her. And when he brought me home, she lived with her mother, my dad and an older brother, and a younger sister. And I was at that point, if you would be the middle child, but I was brought home, but my mom and grandmother did not want an illegitimate child living in a good Catholic home in the housing projects in Southie. So my dad would get me up at 530 in the morning and put me in a sunsuit or a snowsuit, depending on the season, and put me outside in a playpen and leave me there till 930 at night when my grandmother went to bed come out and get me bring me in and give me dinner and put me to bed and get me out again in the morning. So for three years, she never saw an illegitimate child in her home. And when I was sick, she fell down, broke her hip, was placed in a nursing home, and then I could live there. Moved in and realized that that was an extremely violent. He had immense Irish pride. The people in Selby, immensely proud of their Irish heritage. The more Irish than the Irish in the old country, you know, that my dad would say. But in any event, when I moved in and saw that the Irish pride was great, which is why he wanted me out of the orphanage, because no Irish child deserves to be in an orphanage. But simultaneously, he was a violent, very unviolent, aggressive man where we were beaten up or whipped daily. And I moved into that place and I made it out at 17. And I always did great in school. I was great in academics. I did great in school. And wanted to go to college, but he didn't believe in educating girls. And in the housing projects, you don't have a lot of money. And there were three boys that he thought should get to college before any of the girls did. So that money was allocated for the boys. I wasn't allowed, so I applied to nursing school and discovered that I went to an unaccredited inner city high school. And no nurse nursing school in the country would accept me either. So there was no way out so my mom said, just marry Michael. I had a, a boy I was madly in love with at 17. And just marry Michael And uh, until you get pregnant. Work as a waitress until you get pregnant and then stay home and raise your babies. And getting married to Michael was an okay idea because he was a great, he really is a great guy. He's still is to this day a really great guy. But I wanted more and I couldn't get out. College, nursing school, nothing was going to get me out until I found out some of the nuns actually do social work. And social work is what I wanted to do.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: I applied to several communities and realized the Catholic Church doesn't allow all the children in the convent. Oh, I, didn't, I didn't know that part. Yeah. So I wasn't allowed to become a Catholic nun in the traditional ways. And so one of my teachers in high school said, are you going to be marrying Michael after graduation? Because in Southie at that time, you were an educated woman if you had a high school diploma.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so I was educated and I said, I guess, cause I can't, I can't get out. You know, I told her I wanted to go in the convent and she said, why? You spend most of your days in detention. I would think you would want to have nothing to do with us. <laughs> I was a good girl. <laughs> I just talked a lot of past notes. This oh, is really the problem. Yeah, it was harmless crimes of talking too much in line.
0: If she would notes. simply <laughs> apply herself as she does to her social life. To her studies, she was such a straight A. A. (laughs) Yeah, an angel, actually. In detention with all the curtains pulled down
1: in a pitch black room while you sit there with your hands crossed. And sister is up front with her rosary beads, clicking the desk with her beads on it for an hour while you sit in the black room and do detention. But in any event, so I said, yeah, but in spite of all that, I can't send nuns to detention. You can. That's another story. But yes, we can be called to Mother Superior's office once or a few more times than that. Um, but anyway, life, life is an adventure. Nothing so any, to see so, here. Nothing so, to see. Nothing to see here. So in any event, um, my junior teacher then wrote to over a thousand communities around the globe. And there was one in Quebec that was under a bishop, not the pope. And he said, we've never had an illegitimate child. But we have the creche, which was a huge home. They had 2,000 babies from that were there in an orphanage, unwed mothers, and left 2,000 babies there. And he said, we could take a risk, you know, on, an, on um, an illegitimate child. And those French and their sexual mores are so different than the rest of the world. So they just, and if we're back, was French-Canadian, so they let me enter that community. And they were sending me to the missions. I was so excited because I was going to go to Bazooka Land, where we had missions. And they sent me to Maine because Maine is filled with French Canadians. And so that was the American missions. And so I went to the mother house, which was in Saco,
0: which mm-hmm.
1: was north of Benefit in town next to Benefit and Southern Maine. And so I went there and had a religious life and Mother Superior at one point said, sister, I'm going to send you to St. Francis College, which was an all male school. But you were male, female, or religious, and I was an or religious, I was Sister James Marie. So I was a woman with the man's name. So I kind of qualified for all of it. Oh, you know? my goodness. And so I said, Mom, and Sister, they won't let me in And She said, Yes, Sister, if I send you well, when you have a nun with her hands in her sleeves, and those old black habits, they exude authority. And um, yeah, I went. And once you have a VA, nobody cares where well, you went to high school.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the rest masters and PhDs is just lots of money and lots of time. And that's the end of the story. So I was in religious life, became a social worker, and, and I was blessed beyond words. I discovered a self I never knew. I really, ironically, learned the huge distinction between spirituality and religion while I was in religious life. And realized I, to be a good nun oftentimes meant to me I couldn't be a good Christian. And I needed to make my choice. So I left. Went back to Southie, and I, didn't, didn't, I had nothing in common. Very few friends were still there, and those that were, were in the projects on welfare. And so I decided to see the world, and I joined International Airlines, became an airline stewardess, flew a million miles. So it's been it's been a journey, you know. And 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 I loved. I mean, I've been cultural shock has been a way of life. Transition has certainly been a way of life. Transitioning from one element of my life to the next, to the next, to the next. And anyway, eventually got married, moved to Connecticut, and had two children. Was divorced when they were in kindergarten, in fourth grade, and raised them alone. I went back, and got my master's, Became when I was divorced, I was going to need to support my babies. And so I got a job as a therapist. And within three months, I was seeing 42 patients a week. And that lasted over 20 years. And eventually, about three years in, saw that there's an amazing coincidence initially, but then realized it's not a coincidence. Well, where certain personalities were presenting with particular diseases, you know, I would ask for their medical health, as well as their psychological history, and discovered that all of those that had fibromyalgia had a certain personality. All those who had breast cancer had a certain personality. And when I asked the friends with who MDs, have you noticed? And they said, no, that's a coincidence. And I thought, no. But I can predict it's not a coincidence anymore. There's, there's some reliability. There's some scientific facts here. So I became certified in nine modalities of integrative healthcare care and brought a massage table into my office and started doing energy work. Five of the modalities, I studied research medicine started doing energy work. And what ended up happening is they, um, people on my waiting list knew each other and said, hey, why don't you teach us what you know while we're waiting to work with you? Because I was blessed with a six-month waiting list about three months into practice. I started this little six-week program, which became a one-year program. Nobody wanted to graduate, became a two-year program. Eventually became a four-year program. And for 19 years, I had another company I founded, the Institute of Healing Arts and Sciences where I taught physicians, nurses, OTs, PTs, and some non-medical people about energy medicine, a method of energy medicine I created looking at the psychological and spiritual causes of physical disease and disorders. And that ended up becoming the title of my dissertation. And I went back to get my PhD. So it's it's been a wonderful journey. I, I had my business going and I had my practice going and I was still trying to go to soccer games, you know, and do different things that moms do. And when my second left for Cornell, I drove home sobbing because I knew once they go to college, you'll never be mummy again. You know, you're a mom, but you're never mummy. You know, they don't sit on your lap anymore. They don't lean against you anymore. You know, it's a different relationship. And pulled into this huge house I owned on Mountain Road, West Hartford and said, wow, And like a good Irish girl. As soon as I get out of that car from that long drive from Cornell, I bought a glass of red wine. Just... Well, I was drinking that wine and just looking looking around the house and thinking, I'm not happy. This house is huge and empty. And I realized now in the silence, which hasn't happened in 21 years, you know, I'm not really happy here. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if I stayed unhappy and continued this being the so-called success, I would develop cancer or some other disorder. And for my own health, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, I needed a dramatic change. So I picked up the phone, called and got a one way ticket to Wanguila in the British West Indies. Hung up that phone, called uh, uh, an agent, said, put my house in the market, let my office know I'm leaving the country in three weeks and I'm moving to Anguilla. And I lived in the British West Indies for 10 years, traveling back to America every two months to teach and to speak and to do things. Wayne Dyer and I had the same agent over here on the East Coast. And so she would book us together and we'd do some speaking engagements. Eventually, I decided uh, everything changed, the culture changed, and I moved back to America. I was asked to come be co-chair of the Advisory Board of and Grant that NG that UConn received and oversaw in ancient medicine research across the country. I ended up closing my businesses and moving down to the shoreline, back to the water. Here I am. And I recognized as I opened up part-time practice that many of the people who were coming to see me didn't need therapy. What they needed was how to be effective leaders. Mm. You know, they were thinking there was something wrong with them, and there wasn't. They needed help, learning how to effectively lead. And by that point in time, I had founded four companies. The work was so successful. My students were doing medical internships, and hospitals asked about giving me money to do research with diseases, so I opened up a nonprofit. And, you know, life just goes. You know, you do your life, and when you do, spirit leads you. Yes. And for every dream you have you're not just asked to achieve that dream, you need to become the woman who can sustain that dream. And so what I saw was these women were going for leadership positions and getting them, but they had no role models on how to be a leader. Mm. All they knew were the men around them. And as a coach, I could teach them how to be effective leaders. They didn't need therapy, they needed business coaching. So I went and studied with the woman who developed, expanded Tony Robbins program, who now is on her own out in Marina Del Rey in California, and for a year and became certified as a leadership coach in transformation. And that's what I've been doing 15 years is supporting women looking, and looking in men, but looking at what does effective leadership look like? What is your leadership style? There are leaders who are thought leaders, they are catalysts, they're creators, they come up with amazing, amazing ideas, no skill for implementation, but amazing ideas. And every company needs somebody like that, they can lead the company and where it's going. You have team leaders, we need folks who are team, even if you're a solopreneur, and you've got VAs. Mm -hmm. What's the culture of your company? What type of VAs do you need pragmatically? What skill sets do you need them to do? But also you need them to have your value system. If they're going to help with your branding and put it out there, they need to understand your culture, your brand, your value system, because that's what you're bringing to the world. Mm-hmm. And then there were the nurturers, those folks who don't ever want to be the leader who's out front, but wants to have the back of the leader, and they are invaluable.
0: Yeah, I love that you said that about right. you these know. different types of leadership, because I wondered, do you think everyone has an inner leader? Every one of us, every single one of us is called to leadership, whether it is leadership of our own
1: lives, leadership of our homes, our yes, families, leadership in our own businesses or leadership in corporate, leadership in a nonprofit. It doesn't matter. None of us are called to passively walk through this journey. We are all called to leadership in some capacity, which means Every one of us, which are these are the subjects, my life, I've lived it, but these are the subjects I love to talk about. And I love my life. I've been blessed beyond words. But effective leadership truly is knowing what are my natural skills? What are the ways in which I can best have impact, have influence, and have profit?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Something many women don't want to talk about. How can I, as a leader, in whatever way that I choose to lead, have impact, influence, and profit and help make this world a better place. Mm -hmm. And I make the world a better place by me becoming more and more me. I haven't practiced religion in 30 years, but I'm immensely spiritual. And I truly believe all of us are embodied souls or embodied essence, whatever word you're comfortable with. And with that embodied soul, the more I can radiate the essence of who I am, and somebody's going to walk away from a meeting with me having experienced me, not just having learned from me. And that's every one of us. People walk away with an experience of you, they don't just know facts about you. The facts are irrelevant because what's truly the gift is how they've transformed you, mm-hmm. who they've supported you in becoming, and how you've utilized the facts of your life to become the person you choose to be. Yes. So that leadership that every one of us has is if we can own the style of leadership and not judge ourselves.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm only a catalyst or I'm only a team leader. I don't come up with creative ideas. You don't need creative ideas. Let somebody else do that. You create the team that has the ability to implement what that catalyst came up with. That's invaluable because nobody is walking this earth alone. We're all walking a community, small community, big community. We're all in community, all right. And I, I don't have any of that, but I love to have one person. I'll have their back and I'll make them shine. Great, a comp- that company leader needs somebody to help make them shine. You need somebody. I have a VA that does all of my social media. I'm not, I don't post a thing on Pinterest and on Instagram and any of those. She does all of that. I know they exist. That's the end of my story, all right. <laughs> Uh, that's right. It's like we need those people. We need those people, right? So she's she is so invaluable to me. She does all of that, and that is not her lack of ambition.
0: No, she not is at all. amazingly it's-
1: ambitious. She is exquisite at what she does. And then you have that that visionary leader, that one who takes the create the catalyst. They have a team behind them. They have somebody who's got their back. They now have the ability to bring this business out into the world yes, or bring that family, a mother with a special needs child. She now has the ability because of all the experiences and things she's got to bring her child's needs out into the world, to make a change in that family, to make a change in that child's life. If you're in business to make a you know they have the ability to bring that company out there and present it in the best light. and you have the organizational leader. Who is that person? Put me in a dark room. I don't even need a window. You develop all the programs. I'm going to be in heaven because I'm going to do the procedures and protocols. I love creating procedures and protocols. I love doing accounting or or whatever it may be. They are in heaven doing all of that. God bless their lovely souls. They're in heaven doing all of that. They could care less if they ever saw another person. They want to deal with the numbers. They want to deal with the pragmatic. We need all of that. So when we can honor Oh, this is the kind of leader I am. I'm not inept because I can't do this, this, and this. No, you're not inept, which is what many women pick into. Oh, somebody said I was inept. I must be because I can't do this. No, sweetheart, you can't do that because
0: that's not your lane. You're over here. You have your own unique expression of leadership and it's finding it. It's figuring out what it is. Right. I
1: created a leadership self-assessment tool to support. It's free of charge on my website. Go to the front page of my website, it'll say self-assessment leadership tool. Find out what kind of leader you are and luxuriate in that. That is not a weakness, it is a strength. Yes. And honor who you are, not who you've been told you are supposed to be.
0: I picked up on something also that you were saying that I want to check in with you about. It was that moment that you poured yourself a glass of wine, you pulled in, you know, you had pulled into your driveway after dropping dropping off your child at Cornell, where you had the revelation. I'm not happy. Right. And you've said if I stay here like this, I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get cancer or something else. And so what I made up about that was that stagnancy equals disease. It does. Interesting.
1: Think about a pond in your backyard. Mm-hmm. That stagnant pond in your backyard is going to become infested.
0: Mm-hmm. If there's a stream running through it, it stays active and alive in healthy water. Now you can be doing, 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 but the key is you're not growing and you're not aligned with who you really are. Right. When
1: we get so busy, and and I have women who call and men who call me and say, "I was on a call with the man yesterday," who say to me, "I am so damn busy, I don't have a moment to think." And my first question is, "So tell me where you get your joy?" Mm-hmm. Oh God, it's been a while.
0: You know, I'm I'm pushing so hard all week. I'm just danger zone right there, danger zone. And that's that was my saying.
1: Without peace, your mind and your body and your soul cannot recover. So there's two ways to approach this. You run like a bat out of Hades all week, and then you collapse on the weekends, and you replenish, and you relax, and you take care of yourself to get ready to get up and rush again, okay? It's better than doing seven days a week. However, what if... You came from your heart and your soul. What if you were doing a job that fed you? You could be highly productive. You could even work eight, nine hours a day at it, 10 hours a day at it, but it's feeding you. You're doing it and you feel so good about who you are, so good about what you're doing that it isn't to be healthy, you have to be lackadaisical. No, be focused, be clear on where you're going. We need to have a vision. We need to have a dream. Without a purpose in life, what are you doing? You're existing. We need to have a purpose in being. And that that dream call, that our soul is calling us to who we're meant to be, follow that dream. So be clear about it, define about what it is and how you're going to get there, who you're going to become so you can live it. So this movement there, so every step of the way, you feel excitement, you feel joy, you feel accomplishment, not because you reached it, but because you're in the process getting there. There's an excitement in this joy. There's an aliveness. Right. Mm-hmm. That is what keeps you healthy. Yes. Which is why I, and I'm working with my clients, mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Taking time, every, whether it's meditation or mindfulness practice or whatever it may be for you, taking time every morning when you wake up to stop. Who am I today? How do I feel? Did I wake up feeling depressed? Did I wake up feeling stressed? Did I wake up excited?
0: Did I wake up scared and excited about something that's happening today? Right. Yeah. So Dorothy and I chose from the Sacred Rebels guidebook. And of course, the card that we chose was seeing the true you. And what I hear you really talking about right now, which was so reflected kind of in this teaching, in this card that we chose was that this there's this eternal essence, this aliveness inside of us, and if we're doing this jOB, this way of dying is what I call it, you're not earning a living, you're earning a die, yeah, you're earning a dying. It's like if it's slowly killing you, it's like it's that's what we pretend not to know. right. right? We pretend not to know that the daily grind isn't killing us. And if it's a grind and you catch yourself saying things like sarcastically, oh, I'm living the dream, it may be time to take you a know, look. for you yeah. to take, a, take look. a look.
1: Because that is where disease comes from. Disease comes from, and I say this and it's a blanket statement, Disease comes from the disconnection from self. Mm -hmm. There is a dis-ease in us. And what ends up happening is that we, we then end up living in stress. Stress impacts the immune system. When the immune system is weakened, we are vulnerable to anything and everything. When the immune system becomes very weak, it turns to the adrenals. And the adrenals, when we are in that fight or flight, if I don't get this project done, I'm going to lose my job. If I don't get this done, I'm going to lose the house. If I don't get this done, there's always a crisis ready to unfold if we don't get this done. And so there's this survival approach to the journey. Mm -hmm. And the adrenals are meant to be used in a crisis only, not as a lifestyle. And in the Western world, especially here in America, there is a belief system that productivity is the only grading system we need. And if I'm not productive, if I don't get this accomplished, this accomplished and this accomplished, I'm going to fail. And if I fail, I could be fired. If I failed, I could deal with the house. If I fail, I could lose my marriage. If I fail, if I fail. And so that angst sets us up. So when we look at the disease rates in this country, let's look at the fear rates. Let's look at the stress rate because it will impact you enormously.
0: And when it comes to women, this is where I think the good girl and letting the good girl die. Right. My last book. Yeah. Well, and I'm making this connection because I really talk a lot about this curse of perfectionism because, you know, I'm still recovering. And again, The reason that I call it the Revelation Project is often so many of these things are hiding in plain sight, meaning that we can tend to stay in situations that are not feeding us, that are not bringing us life, because to dissent or to reject or to, you know, we have this tendency to continue to be pretty pleasing and polite in such a way that like we hold we hold ourselves hostage in these situations that are terrorizing us and so there's a way that like when we're always being the good girl we don't do things that disrupt and we need to disrupt things God we need to yeah we need to disrupt
1: women women in leadership tend to lead from their heart and their soul.
0: That's why we need them so desperately. Absolutely. That doesn't from moment mean they don't
1: also lead with logic and pragmatic skills. That's right. And the ability to make things happen. It's almost as if we've created a world in which you lead with your head and logic or you leave with the soft skills of your heart and your soul and delicacy. What if you brought compassion and kindness and thoughtfulness into powerful, effective leaders that transform companies, that transform individuals, that transform their employees, that are constantly transforming themselves to be better and better and more and more effective at leadership? so that they stay in alignment with the culture of the company. When they create a culture in their company, then they stay in alignment with it. And everything gets transformed and improved. And they do it in alignment with all of the people because they are in a place of compassion and kindness, but also expecting. Compassionate kindness doesn't mean I'm going to carry everybody who doesn't want to do anything. Compassionate kindness means if this job isn't not making you a better you, This is the wrong place for you. So let me help you either find a new position in my company or help you leave my company to find a place that works best for you. Because if this isn't bringing out the best and calling you to grow continuously, it's not where you belong. That's coming from compassion. So different from you failed, you're out, see ya. Right. Whoa. But I was succeeded at 40 things. They did. They're telling truth, so they're confused as to why they've been fired because they failed at one. But the things they succeeded at, they were doing in a survival place. Mm-hmm. Finally, they had nothing left, and a project failed. They're not where they belong, not because a project failed. Any anybody can have a project fail, but because this isn't feeding them, this is draining them, this is making them ill. They're not in the right place for them, not the wrong place. Here we go: good, bad, blame, guilt get over all that stuff. How do we best support our people becoming their best selves? Truly. And if we women are in charge and they create that culture, well, we have men that are very willing to do that too. It's just, thank God, just women do it, which is why I believe men and women together create an amazing organization. That's right. And we know that statistically when we have not one token, but when we have a sufficient number of women on the board, in alignment with a sufficient number of men, we have the strengths of both mm-hmm. that really allow things to fly. When we respect each other's strengths, just as we respect each other's style of leadership, when we can respect that, we have an amazing ability to transform companies, countries, and anything else. We need transform families, transform ourselves. We can do that amazingly. When we, as women, bring out our yin and our yang, Women in the state of being and and the action is the yang, the masculine side of us. It's wonderful to have great theories. But if all we're going to do is have theories, it becomes a waste. To me, it's like education. And I say this because I'm overly educated. But education is a waste if it doesn't create action.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That creates transformation. So women's theories are wonderful. That's the yin, That's the heart. That's the loving. But if they don't actualize their yang, their masculine side, and do something with
0: it, They've wasted it. Well, which brings me to one of my final questions today, Dr. Dorothy, which is like what in the kind of jokingly call this, but it, but I also see a lot of truth to it. It's just that the word is loaded. I call this time the apocalypse. And yet, if you look at the origin of that word, it means to reveal. Mm-hmm. And... And I think that we're in a time of great revelation. Like we're in a time right now where I believe that we're being invited at no time other in human history to have an involution at the same time we're having an evolution, which gives us an opportunity to have a collective change A massive kind of transition where I think what I'm seeing and experience is a huge disruption in many different ways happening all over the world. And people, it's like really waking people up to their lives to. I often say I almost had to lose my life to choose my life. And I feel like it's that kind of a situation where people are getting very intentional about what matters to them because the times are calling us to wake up. And I'm wondering, because I'm hearing this genuine love and aliveness that you have for women, for supporting women, right? And I'm hearing that you support and love working with men, too. Oh, um, I, it feeds iti- me. Yeah, it feeds me. Yeah. So I'm wondering, what is your vision for women as we, like, what do you see in terms of the potential of women if they were listening to you right now and willing to be disruptive? What would be, What would be some words that you might have for them?
1: What a wonderful question. What a wonderful, wonderful question.
0: What I would see
1: is women beginning to let go of their stories, stories, because those stories are 90% of the time limiting and destructive. If women were able to let go of the stories and own the strength they possess, the leadership they possess, the skill sets they possess, and from that place of, of falling in love with themselves, Be open to developing whatever skills they need in whatever industry they choose to walk in, whatever field, maybe it's politics, maybe it's teaching. It doesn't matter what it is. Develop the skills you need in recognizing if this is what your dream is calling you to, you already innately have everything you need to be there. Mm -hmm. You may need to develop pragmatic skills. Develop them. That's not a personal lack. That's a skill lack. Develop the skills you need to do this or that. You want to be a pilot? Learn how to fly. If you want to be a pilot, there's something in you that's gone. just learn how to do that. Take the classes, do what you need, make that happen.
0: And if you're and if you're in a story of like, well, I'm such and such an age or I'm it's too late. It's like that it's is just a story. Get rid of the story. That's a story. Anything that limits you is a story. Yes.
1: All right. Get let the story go. And so as we let go of the stories, as we develop the skills we need and whatever it is we choose to do, whatever we're called to do here, which is really big because we have a calling, every one of us, what are we called to? When we follow that, I believe we have the ability to bring us out of a reactionary, aggressive mode throughout the world and bring us way back into a responsive, compassionate, powerful leadership that causes us to create change through the use of community and not an exclusive community, an inclusive community. Because women tend to nurture. They don't. Their tendency is not to just nurture these. When that's what we're doing, we're in woundedness. and we can do our own healing, work with our own woundedness and heal those. We end up being simply compassionate and inclusive to all of community. So I believe women have the ability to bring that compassionate leadership through the use of community, through calling out the best of people, the most embracive and inclusive, recognizing the good in all of us. So that we become the leaders who unify this planet, recognizing as well the power of Mother Earth, that we come and bring in the inclusivity and the nurturance and the compassion that's needed. To transform this planet, we don't tend to come from a place of needing to win. We can do competition; that can be fun, but that's not our primary drive. Right. That can be a fun thing if that's who you are. You love to compete in racing or compete in sports or whatever thing it is you love to compete in. Enjoy yourself, but that's not what we use. That's like this fun side of thing. Mm-hmm. That's not what usually calls us forward. So I think we do have my answer, I guess. And Simply put, is we have the ability to compassionately create a world community Mm. that is based on spirit, that is based on the soft skills with highly developed productive skills
0: of pragmatic application. I love that. I love that so much. It's such a beautiful vision to end our conversation with. And it's nothing more beautiful or fulfilling when you think about what it is to create that kind of unified world community that by women awakening to their own power, their own enoughness, their own worthiness, that they step into their flavor, their essence of leadership and do their part, each of us doing our part in our own way to create that world community, that would be what would solve most, if not all, of the world problems.
1: I I truly believe all of them. All of them could be solved. And I'm certainly not saying they all could be solved within three months or three years or whatever. But developing a a mindset, looking at mindset, using emotional intelligence, that what, what sets people off and how can we best support them in understanding their reactions versus their responses? And how can we then support going forward the one world community? Have your country, love your country, have your national pride, but notice that each country has a different gift. I mean, I've been blessed to travel to many of them. Each country has its own culture. When that culture supports all of the people in that country, think of what we would do if every country supported every person who lived there, right? And then we, as as a world, supported each other. We'd be sharing our gifts with each other, and we would all be winning if winning is important, we would all come out ahead. We would all become the best of who we could be. And yes, as some will say, oh, she's such an idealist. You're right. But without an ideal, what are we working towards? That's right. We have an ideal. We have a vision. We have a dream. And our journey is about walking towards that, not expecting it to be actualized in my lifetime. But in if my lifetime, I can support the process of us going forward. I can support enough women going forward. And if I'm one of millions of other women leaders who are out here with a similar message, we can have a massive impact. Any one of us can have a massive impact. But if many of us are out here with the same message of inclusivity, the same message of compassion and powerful leadership for transformation with the necessary pragmatic skills to do what needs to be done, there's no limit there is no limit. And I I truly, truly believe that.
0: I also believe we've never walked one moment of this life alone. That's right. One distinction that I also hear in what you're saying, Dr. Dorothy, that I love so much is like, it's not about women taking a position, because when we take a position, it creates its opposition. And that's not what we need. What we need to be doing as women is taking a stand that's value based, that's that's grounded in a vision for what is possible. And You're that's right. what a stand is. And as women come together in a stand for what is possible for the world, mm-hmm. that is when things will change. Right, right. And we're not making enemies. There's not the good guys and
1: the bad guys, the Republicans and the Democrats and the independents and the non affiliated. Oh my God. All I of mean, that, that is already. So. It's none of that. It's we are all in this together. We have slightly different value systems. Welcome to your value systems. As long as it includes inclusiveness and community, leave your values. You want to have pasta every night, have a ball for yourself, go wild. You know, you want to go to college, you want to go into the trades. Go. Mhm. Go. There's no right way to live your life. The wrong way in those contexts. Go to where you're called. Mm-hmm. The problem only comes when you pick the one right way. And what if there's a hundred right ways? And there is. You know? Yeah, I believe so.
0: Well, I've loved this conversation. Truly, it's just been so um, life giving, and I just I also want to invite our listeners to know more about where they can, you know, just hear more about you, perhaps they want to enroll in your upcoming program.
1: I would love it. Yeah. I would love where it. would you it's like good.
0: to send them? Here we go. What I'm going to do
1: for this is I will put in your chat, the, um, the link to my upcoming program. Know there's only room for 12 women. Okay, it's going to be a small, intimate package.
0: Well, and if we don't get the episode out in time, I'm imagining that getting on your mailing list would do it if they
1: got on my mailing list. It's askdrdorothy.com is my website. Awesome. The moment you hook up to that self-assessment leadership tool, you'll be put on my mailing list and you'll start getting, I only send out one newsletter a week. It comes out on Sunday morning. That's it. You will not be getting 42 emails from me a week. And thinking, oh my God, what have I done? There will be <laughs> one email and one newsletter that is inspirational and that really is to support us being our best selves and that. always with a touch of humor.
0: And, and a lot of humor. Always <laughs> with a touch of humor. <laughs> humor and faith.
1: Oh, Jeez, so you know. good.
0: Well, well, thank you. And for our listeners, you know, we'll be sure I'll be sure to put all of Dr. Dorothy's links in the show notes. Dr. Dorothy, thank you for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure. It's been an honor really to talk to you today. I have loved getting to know you more deeply. Thank you for your work in the world goodness, you are such a delight. And what a great interviewer. My goodness, thank me. you You are so good at what you do, girl. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. It, I received that. And I'm, I'm, uh, yes, it, it is something I've learned about myself that it seems to just be my form of leadership, speaking of, you know, and so it's really been something I've embraced and that I am loving doing so. So keep Keep the guests coming my way. In fact, if I'm sure, you know other brilliant women and men that I might love to interview at some point. Oh, I do. I will be sending you some names because Yay. golly, there's so many amazing people on this planet. There really are. It's amazing, and I, I do. I have so I. I My And my husband edits, and just a quick, you know, kind of little thing for me is like, every conversation is like getting another gift, you know, where I'm just building on this foundation of understanding. And over time, I'm just like, it's been amazing how much I've grown just through conversations with other people who've exposed me to so many different ideas and their revelations, which have just helped me to kind of Always see this bigger picture. It's just been such a gift. We can we can close with, if you will, that
1: what you just said personifies everything we talked about. Mm. What you said is I learned from everybody who comes on. The only reason you do that is because you don't have a belief that there's one right way of looking at things. And some of the people who come on who may not agree with you on everything are all wrong and you don't learn from them. You said, I learned from everybody. Which means you were wide open to being exposed to a hundred different perspectives on a hundred different topics. Yes. And that willingness to be open is a willingness to be transformed. Mm-hmm. And that a will, willingness and ability to continuously transform makes you so much better and better at what you do and more and more expansive at who you are. That is the epitome of what we're talking about. And congratulations. I mean, because that's truly what we've been talking about is that, that willingness to grow and be transformed, bring out our best selves, recognize your story and get rid of it. I'm supposed to be perfect. Really? That's a story. Throw it away. You have,
0: you've embodied everything we've talked about. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. And for our listeners, until next time, more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.